The following is intended for mature audiences only. Welcome to Altitude Adjustment. Good afternoon, I'm Leon Davis, and you're listening to uh, the podcast Altitude Adjustment. It is sat uh, Friday, Saturday, <laughs> losing track of my day, Saturday, uh, May the 21st, 2 p.m. Central Time. Uh, thank you very much for joining me today. Today I'm going to talk about uh, Nerd Prom. Now, Nerd Prom, I'm referring to the White House Correspondents Dinner. Um, I consider myself a nerd. Uh, I like you know, um, nerdy things. I've been in computers for 30 years and, uh, I've pretty much done everything you can do with a, a computer. And, um, so this morning I'm, you know, going through my routine, getting ready to do the podcast. And one of the things that I have learned over the years is <clears throat> I don't change procedures or, um, you know, change things in a mission critical situation. A mission critical situation is when you have to perform, when you, when you have to do things and get them done, that becomes mission critical and you rely on those things that have gotten you there. Now you can go back and later and change your processes and change, you know, your materials or whatever you're working with to better implement what you want to do, but you, I don't usually do that in a mission critical situation. So on the morning that I'm going to do the podcast, I don't introduce updates and, and things like that because I, that means I haven't had a chance to determine if that update is going to make changes that are going to keep me from being able to do the podcast. Uh, Microsoft has insisted that they should have a say in that, that I should change my processes to accommodate what they want. And I'm, you know, I understand the need for updates. I understand the need for having your system, um, in peak performance. I just don't want you to turn for me when that should happen. So of course I padded in my normal time to get ready for the show today and something came up. And so I was, uh, I was pushed for time. Well, not really pushed for time. So that padding came in handy because I wasn't able to have that extra time to do additional things, but I was okay because, um, I, I didn't make any changes to the system. I knew that the whole purpose of that padding was for me to be able to do other things in the case of, you know, something coming up and then I wouldn't be rushed. Still fine. Come to uh, start up my computer update. I've done everything to try to avoid doing that update because I'm not going to do an update in a mission critical situation. Shut, but I had to shut down the system and restart it. Well, so the system boots up. I am now in a situation where audio is not working. Now I got to troubleshoot. There were things I wanted to do. I would have had enough time to do if I had not had to troubleshoot the sound. So if the show is a little eh, sporadic, 
Um, I wasn't able to get some of those things done that I wanted to get done, uh, but I'll do the best that I can to make it uh, palatable for you. Uh, anyway, uh, so we're, we're, I was talking today about the, um, the White House Correspondents' Dinner. Now, the White House Correspondents' Dinner had, had been, you know, not, not the previous president's cup of tea, and they decided to avoid that. And then there was the pandemic. And so after, I guess, three years, I think that it was mentioned, they have started back up doing the uh, White House Correspondents' Dinner. And there were a couple of things about it that I really liked. Um, I don't know if if you follow those kinds of things, um, but the, the White House Correspondents' Dinner, you know, this year starting up, I thought was excellent because it did kind of bring back some of the normalcy, some of the boredom. I, I won't call it boredom. You know, some people call it boring politics. I don't find politics boring. I don't find um, things in our society that are necessary for the functioning of the society boring. I find those things absolutely something that I want to be aware of. And that's just been something for me. I, I know a lot of people, I've you've heard, probably heard me rail before, that more people know you know, who won um, uh, the mask singer or uh, whatever than know who their representative is. And, and that's just because those things are important. The things, you know, my representative and politics and business and news is important to me. It is primary to me. I don't watch a lot of selective television. Most of the time I'm looking for information. I'm looking, you know, to learn something. And I understand that that's me. And so, um, yeah, there's, there's probably a little bit of frustration uh, that comes through in some of the times when I talk because I'd like to see those things take priority in society. And right now, I don't think that they take priority, at least not to the level that I think that they are, are going to be beneficial, maximally beneficial for the, the maximum number of people. But anyway... Uh, so the, the White House Correspondents' Dinner went off. Uh, I thought that, and Trevor Noah was the uh, comedian this year, and there's been controversy about, you know, comedians, and that all happened, again, under the previous administration. But uh, Trevor Noah was the comedian. I thought he did uh, an excellent job. Um, there weren't a lot of cringeworthy jokes, and I think that that was some of the... Um, problems in the in the past is that some comedians brought in more cringeworthy uh, jokes. Um, and, and I planned one day to do a, a podcast about comedians and jokes and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And I don't want to get into that, but uh, I thought it was very refreshing. He was uh, funny. He was entertaining and he was reassuring that uh, things aren't as bad as they may seem to be, as some people want us to believe that the world, the sky is falling and that uh, life is no longer um, capable of reaching previous levels of normalcy. Um, one of the only things that I did have um, some trepidation about was, uh, so the, it was, uh, broadcast on C-SPAN and the advertisement that C-SPAN used 
the picture of Trevor Noah was obviously a previous picture. Trevor Noah, because of the pandemic, has allowed his hair to grow out. And he has a pretty um, unique, I won't call it unique, he has a, a pretty good fro on him. And I, and I thought that was interesting. And But in the, the uh, advertising, he's very, has low, hair is very, very low, very short. And I don't know if, and, I, and I'm not, you know, making, trying to make a big issue out of, but I'm just trying to, I it would be nice to know if, if Trevor Noah had sent that picture as to be used for the advertising, or if, you know, someone else at the White House Correspondents' Dinner decided to use that picture and why. Um, because there is those issues about hair and presentation. Um, and looking at those two pictures, you get a completely different image of uh, Trevor Noah. And so it was just, it just, but it would have been interesting to, to know if, uh, you know, how those, that picture came about to be part of the advertising. There may have been other pictures that, you know, had a more updated um, image of him. I didn't see all of those. So I'm not, uh, it's not a big deal. It's just, you know, I had sometimes things come presented to you and you just have questions about him. And it was just a simple question. So the White House Correspondents' Dinner has been called the Nerds Prom. And, um, I, I, you know, I actually think that that's a good thing because, you know, all of these powerful people, all of these people that are influencing society um, are nerds. And one of the things that uh, you hear a lot about in, you know, songs and things like that where nerds are talking about, you, you know, you'll be washing my car. and But, but it just what it says is, you know, if you stay the course and you do those things that some people consider boring, you know, eventually you get into a position where uh, you're doing the work, you're doing the heavy lifting of making sure the society can support all of the fun things like extreme sports and, um, you know, reality shows and that kind of stuff, because that work needs to be done for the rest of it to be possible. So the NBA is possible because politicians do their job. The, the NFL is possible because uh, reporters do their job. You know, all of those kinds of things, X factor is possible um, because newspapers and uh, magazines do their job. They provide information, provide uh, what is needed for people to make better and informed decisions. So, you know, calling it the nerd prom really isn't an insult. It is helping us to understand how things get done and who gets it done. And so uh, if you have children, um, let them know that nerds eventually do have the jocks and the pretty people uh, washing their cars or, or, or helping them out in some way. And, and so I don't want to um, belittle washing cars because it is a job that's, that's necessary. And it's, a, it's honorable work. You know, you go in, you put in your time, you, you help make society better, and it's honorable work. And one of the things that I've had an issue with is, you know, there was a time when companies would, you know, 
denigrate food service workers to say that, you know, you need to be better in life, but food service workers are as important as construction workers. And I'll go into that enough time, but um, it, it was not an intent to uh, denigrate in, in any way, any particular profession. So my notes are not as organized as I was hoping to get them. So I, I may jump back and forth to get things done. Um, one of the things that, one of the issues that has been brought up about the uh, White House Correspondents' Dinner was that uh, the press gets too cozy with the people that they have to report on. At first glance, that seems reasonable. Yes, if you are too close, if you have a relationship with someone, can you be objective? And so that's what the essence of that idea is, is that you lose your objectivity the more you are familiar with the object of your reporting. Now, I don't necessarily, I can see where that in some cases, and maybe a lot of cases is going to be a problem. I just think a professional knows when and how to, to separate themselves from the object of their story. So if I've, if I've got a report on something, I know what the, the facts are. I mean, I know what the truth is. I know what I'm seeing. And if I report that, apart from whether I like the, the object of my reporting, I can still be objective. And I believe I'm not the only one that can do that. I'm, I'm a professional is, has to be able to compartmentalize. compartmentalize. Compartmentalizing things is necessary for most of us to get things done. Yes, we might like our boss, but if we're not getting paid right, we're not going to continue to accept less pay because our boss is fantastic. So you compartmentalize you while I like my boss and my boss, you know, wants me to take less money. I'm not going to take less money because I like my boss. So I, I don't think that the press being cozy or being able to have a relationship with the people that they cover is the major issue. Now, one of the things that I see is a potential. So as a reporter, as someone who has a responsibility to the public, and so I've watched uh, a lot of, I can say a lot, I've, I've watched journalists, uh, videos or uh, programs about journalist integrity and what they should and shouldn't do. Maybe not necessarily what they should and shouldn't do, but the responsibilities and the challenges that they face. So one of the challenges is, or that I question is, is there a time when you're not a reporter? Let's say you, your responsibility is to report on politics. Is there, is there a time, is there a moment in your day when you're not responsible for reporting what you see and hear? 
when it pertains to politics. You're at the uh, correspondence dinner. You are, you know, having a conversation with someone and you noticed that or you hear or see something that a politician does or has an interaction about. Okay. Um, it is a, it is a casual affair. And I know that there's this, you know, this off the record, um, I don't know how to describe it, this ability to be off the record. So I could say something that, uh, you agree won't necessarily make it into your reporting. Um, but if if a reporter you know, is in a sensitive in, in a situation where they hear or see sensitive information, and that sensitive information, um, they don't the reporter doesn't have all the context, but do they have to they have a responsibility to the people to report what they know, what they've seen, that what they've come across, the, because if they don't report it. Let's, let's say they don't report it. Um, they run across some sensitive information. The, um, uh, the one of the people, you know, reaches out to them and says, you know, don't use this information right now. Um, you don't have all the context and that you could potentially endanger a situation. So the reporter now has a decision. Do they kick it up and say, well, uh, you know, I don't have the authority to withhold this information and they kick it up and then that person has to determine, do they have the authority to withhold the information and do they kick it up? And that reporter and each person in that chain has a responsibility to determine if sharing that information can be a bigger problem than reporting that information. Now, I, 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 because I've never worked in that situation, I'm not a part of that chain. I don't know all the rules and regulations governing that. So, so for me, it is more about asking a question and exploring the possibilities um, and trying to understand that so that I can understand news reporting and, uh, and being a journalist in a, in a finer way. Because if they don't report it, let's say for some reason, it is, it, the information is withheld. It is quite possible that down the line, it may be found out that that news organization or that news person didn't share that information. At that time, they're going to be judged um, based on what they sh hindsight. And hindsight is twenty twenty. In the course of dealing with something, you don't have the benefit of hindsight, and you have to make a decision with not all of the facts in evidence. And so now you've got this sensitive information in the hands of people that are uh, tasked with 
finding information for people to make better decisions. Now they have to make decisions and their behavior at that point can be judged as a bias because if they didn't report it, someone could say they um, withheld it to protect somebody that they like or that a cause that they believed in. And that may not necessarily be the situation. They also are faced with the task that if they share that information, because they stick strictly to the letter of, this is my job and this is what I'm supposed to do, and then harm comes, they're also gonna be held accountable for that if that does not go well. So we're asking people to do, I think, an extremely difficult job. And, I, and again, not being a person that has to, to live in that world and do, uh, you'll have to pardon me, St. Louis is experiencing some thunderstorms, so you may catch uh, a little bit of that. So it, it's exciting. But anyway, um, I don't have to live in that world where making those decisions is extremely is, is job critical and people critical because it impacts all of us. It impacts every person um, because they're, 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 they're there to be the, our eyes and ears when we cannot be. And so we're gonna hold them to a pretty unique standard um, they're pretty much damned if they do and damned if they don't. Uh, sometimes, you know, if you don't have all of the context of the information, if you don't have all of the um, necessary information to go with a story or go with, you know, sharing that information, um, you have to make that, that decision and then you, you're going to have to live with people always accusing that you did it for this reason or that reason, because a lot of what happens, I, I tend to see, is that people make accusations without asking questions. And it's difficult to make accusations. I think it is difficult to be make proper accusations, because you can make an accusation out of anything, as we see. But it's difficult to make um, accusations when you don't have all of the facts. And, and um, you know, uh, we see, you know, people writing books and, you know, from their, their stories. And then because they revealed facts that they, they didn't necessarily, that didn't make it into a story. So we've, we've seen, you know, reporters write books about facts and then been accused of holding onto those facts until after they, you know, after the event occurred at, at the White House or at the governor's house or whatever, um, of, use, of saving those facts because they wanted to write a book. And, and we don't know the particular necessarily always the particular reason why they may have had to hold on to those facts because it may have been mission critical that, you know, some, something 
in diplomacy, if you understand diplomacy, um, trying to be diplomatic, there are times when um, you have to hold on to information uh, because the person that you're in negotiations with has a certain sensitivity that maybe you do not, but you have to respect their sensitivities in order to achieve what you're trying to achieve. If a reporter was to overhear some of the negotiations and they don't understand the sensitivities of both parties involved in, in the negotiation, there's a potential that they could share information that could then cause a breakdown in the ability for, for both parties to be able to reach an agreed settlement or uh, reach a, a, a agreed-upon uh, resolution to a problem. Um, and, and, you know, a lot of the... I, I, a while back, there was the Hillary Clinton's emails. And the idea that Hillary Clinton didn't want to keep her... Uh, didn't want to keep her email, and she's not the only one, but probably one of the most visible, and I'll use her as an example because of that. Um, she didn't want to keep her emails in a place. Her responsibility was negotiating situations around the world with people that we like and people that we don't like. Having that emails, having those emails, having that communication, and it's a responsibility. So we've created our, in, in our government that there's a necessity for having that information accessible because we don't want to lose it. We need that information going forward because it, it helps people that come after her understand how we got where we are. So that can't be afford. We can't afford to lose that. But if it's kept in certain places, it becomes accessible for more and different people. The more people that know something, the less likely it's going to be secret. The less likely that it's going to be secret means it could cancel or interrupt or disrupt or stop sensitive uh, negotiations from happening. But if it's not shared in a timely manner, it seems, it could seem, that somebody was trying to make a cushy situation for themselves. And so I think it, well, I guess it's, so when I listen to people who make accusations about uh, people uh, sharing of information and um, communications and things like that, I think I have to take into consideration, does that person take into consideration all of the factors that go into that situation and are they accustomed to um, thoughtful examination 
of situations because there are people who just, they make accusations and it's not thoughtful. It's just, um, they have the intent to promote a particular ideology. And this becomes a, um, a whipping horse that they can use because we as citizens don't always have access to that information. And we do need people to sometimes help us frame how, is it, how that information impacts us. And one of the things that I've mentioned in the past is people are, we lead busy lives. Not everybody can read four or five news sources. Not everybody can do in-depth research about a news story. And that's why uh, news people being thorough and, you know, we not having to retract stories becomes a specific issue because that level of trust, we have to have that trust that when you put something out, it was the best it could be at that particular time. The thing is, um, is that we as citizens, as consumers of that product, have to understand that when we encounter those stories, that it may be just be that it was the best information at that time. Uh, what have people have a tendency to just take this situation and I'm, I'm not um, saying this is the, obviously the only or the best, it's, it's what comes to mind quickly. So early in the pandemic, there were things that were said. Reporters reported what they heard from people that they believed to be the best source of that information at the time. In the, in the ensuing days or months since that, you know, there's, there's been a call to um, discredit a lot of the people who tried to provide us information, tried to provide us the best that they could uh, so that we can make the best decisions that we can make. If we don't understand that perfection in, in providing information is difficult at best, then we could get to the situation where I think we are now, where we want to discredit everyone that we don't like. That, that we're not looking at things in a, um, in a way to try to weed out what is good information and bad information. Sometimes because we don't take the time, we take the first things that we hear and accept those, or at least, or even reject them without doing due diligence to understand how that got to be where it's at, where it is, how that information came about, and what is the best way to try to um, use that information. So, um, so the White House Correspondents' Dinner is an opportunity um, for people to who are reporters who are um, 
you know, influence, influential people in society, because there's, you know, um, celebrities, uh, ce celebrities are influential in our society. It is what it is. Um, and, and if we don't, so, so I tend to think that if our news people are comfortable with those people, if they are comfortable with the newsmakers, if they are comfortable with the politicians and the people that are creating laws and, and those kinds of things, by, by, by having a relationship with those people, having some level of relationship, you get an opportunity, the, that person, the reporter, um, gets an opportunity to better understand the behaviors and ideology or the thinking of the people that they're reporting on. It is difficult to know what someone is thinking when they say something to you. But if you, if you recognize that a person has a pattern of lying and what the, what their behavior is like when they lie, it does you better when you're trying to interview them or when you hear something come out of their mouth, you have a better understanding of if that person is providing you good or bad information. But if you are at an arm's distance from a person, and then you only can take it at face value because you don't have those other skills that you can add to dis determining if this person is providing good or bad information. So I tend to think, uh, and I mentioned that there is a, a knock on this event that the press becomes too cozy with the people that they report on. And I, I say that, that, that can be an issue, but it also, I think, can work adversely that it is a good thing that they get to know these people, that they get to see them in a casual situation. I don't know about you, but there, there can be times when I am in a particular situation and I am on guard. It is uh, doing this. Um, I, I'm on guard. Well, I didn't say do that. Doing this. There are times when I'm on guard. If I'm if I'm introduced into a situation that I'm unfamiliar with, I have to be more alert to what's going on, so that I can pick up on subtle cues that I would otherwise miss. So when people are asking me questions, I have to, to be more um, alert to, are there, are there questions ten, intended to trap me into saying something I would not otherwise say, or to um, make me look a certain way that I know that I'm not. So I'm, I'm alert in certain situations. When I'm around, you know, people that I trust or people that I um, have a relationship with, I'm, I am better able to choose the words that I need to, to communicate that what I, what I want to communicate. And I may become a little more lax. 
but because I'm a little more lax, I'm using words that I know that they're familiar with, using ideas I know that they're familiar with, that I don't have to um, work extremely hard at describing. And so um, if you have the relationship, if they have a relationship with these, with the, um, the, the politicians, um, sometimes they, they, it, it becomes easier to determine what is news and what is not. Um, you know, uh, we all, I, I don't know if, if you tell jokes, you know, you can laugh at sometimes laugh at jokes that other people might find offensive. Cause I was talking about, cause even Trevor Noah mentioned, you know, um, it made, um, humor at uh, Jen Psaki not being able to laugh at a particular joke uh, because of her situation, you know, moving from press secretary into punditry. Um, But, you know, just because if you know me and you, and you know that I'm pretty varied in my humor, um, you can, you know, watch me hear a joke and know um, that's not who he is as an individual and he enjoys humor in its purest form. But if you don't know me that well and you hear me laugh at a joke, let's let's take um, Joe Rogan. So Joe Rogan, um, when he, they were kind of beating up on him pretty good, um, about laughing at a joke where the, the guy was talking about, he was the owner of a, um, comedy club and he would, um, make the female comics, give him uh, oral sex to go on stage. And Joe Rogan didn't push back at that. He didn't. Um, he didn't say, oh, that's, uh, that's a horrible thing. Don't say that in my program, that kind of stuff. If you know Joe Rogan, if you, the more comfortable you are with understanding how, who Joe Rogan is, you might know that the reason Joe Rogan didn't push back at the guy was maybe that Joe Rogan is not uh, extremely confrontational. And um, his tippet, what seemed like a tippet behavior was his way of communicating that he didn't find that joke particularly funny. But you wouldn't know that if you don't know Joe Rogan. If you, or if you aren't comfortable with understanding his, his behaviors. But if you are, the more comfortable you are with his behaviors, the more you know that if he's not, um, really laughing hard at your joke and he's just going, ha ha. He's really telling you it's not funny, but I'm not going to make the, turn this into a confrontational situation. I'm going to move on. I'm going to not create a problem here, but you know, um, I don't find it necessarily palatable. You know, we don't all, easily step up sometimes when we hear things that we think are offensive 
It depends on the situation and depends on the person. The more comfortable you, is, or you are with a person, the more likely you are to express yourself. And so getting to know the people that, that you report on, that I would think gives you an opportunity to better understand what you're seeing, better interpret the behaviors that, that you see around you. And so that's just how, how I tend to think that that um, would go. Of course, um, it would be interesting, you know, for some, someone else who has a different perspective on that to help me see the things that I would not see. So I make an attempt to try to look at the different angle and, and see if I can understand where my logic breaks down. Um, and, and I can only go so far because I, I, like anybody else, I am only exposed to so much information and I can only contain so much information. I can only consume so much information. And, um, but the more people that I I'm around who, you know, are presenting information, the more opportunities I have to, uh, to learn. And I'm always looking to learn something new. Uh, let's see. So I make sure I was actually pretty close. I was thinking this is going to take a little bit. I was going to have a little bit more material, but I was able to cover it. Um, one of the, the things that with me doing this, um, by myself. So, um, uh, Leonard is still recovering. Um, Warren is still dealing with family issues and I don't mean to say issues as in problems. I'm just saying he's dealing, he has some things that are family related that he's taking care of. So, so I get to do, I get to be here by myself and I'm pretty, ex I, you know, I'm, I'm actually enjoying it. Um, it gives me a chance to, to develop the skills of one of the things that I have uh, um, is, uh, concerns with is um, when I, when I have somebody to talk to, when I'm conversing, I have visual cues and auditory cues as to how the person is perceiving what I'm saying. And then I can tailor my conversation to make sure that the point I'm trying to make is the point I'm making. When I'm talking to the camera, I don't have those visual cues. I don't have um, some way to understand how that information is being um, interpreted to see if, to because communication is an iterative process. You make a statement, you see the reaction of the person that you made, the, that you're talking to, you see their, they, they make statements back to you that you then um, interpret as they've understood you or that they're not on the exact same wavelength that you are, like, that they're not specifically picking up exactly what you're trying to say. And so then you know you, you need to use other different words or, or do something different to, to help 
ensure that what the idea that you're trying to, to get across is getting across. And that's why I'd say communication is probably one of the most difficult things that that we as humans have to deal with. I I am like just super um, surprised that that we've been able to develop and communicate in in the ways that we do and to get things done um it's just it's just fascinating to me um because it is so easy to be misunderstood and if you if you add into that that there's a difficulty to um to get ideas in their purest form from one person to another person. And then you add in all the other factors, like, um, you know, sometimes you're talking to a person and they're just having a bad day or they're having, you know, they have other things that block or that filter what you're saying in the wrong way. And then you have to adapt if you want to try to communicate with them and get your point across. Um, I've recently used the example of, uh, you know, I say dragon and, you know, what you get in your, what you get in your mind about a dragon may not be what I'm thinking about in my mind. And then the back and forth allows us to eventually get to a place where you fully understand the idea that I'm trying to present. And so with communication being that, that, uh, that back and forth necessary, you know, to be able to kind of do the podcast uh, and still get my message across that. That's why I tended to uh, maybe restate something several times or restate it in a different way. It's not an attempt necessarily to um, push an issue, but to, to be under, better understood because it, the, it's, it's difficult to know how someone is taking the things that you say, if they're taking it in the way that, that you're intending them. So there, there would definitely be people who think that I am um, biased in a certain way because they don't understand me and how I ask questions and how I approach issues. And if you don't know those things, then yeah, I would seem to have certain biases. Um, it's the more you know me, the more you are understand my communication style, understand my uh, the word my vocabulary, understand um, what motivates me. You will better understand the ideas and concepts that I, you know, present. So um, usually when I try to, uh, uh, that, that is part of the reason why I may repeat something several times. It's not an attempt to obfuscate the, the, the issue. And there are people, you know, if you had an experience with someone who um, wanted to sell you a car, I mean, we've used uh, car salesmen, used car salesmen as a punchline for a joke. Um, that, you know, if you shook their hand, you'd have to count your fingers because, uh, you know, they're going to take you for whatever they can and their com and their conversation is going to be um, revolve around the idea of 
confusing you. And, you know, if you believe that a person is attempting to confuse you, you're going to filter what they're saying in that way. Um, But trust is only built up through getting to know the person, watching their behavior, the things that they talk about, the words that they use, uh, also understanding yourself, how you respond to certain words, how you respond to certain actions. You know, if, if um, I tend to raise my eyebrows and, you know, some people might think that that's, you know, have a different interpretation, then I would have a different interpretation about that. It's, it's how we develop the relationship to communicate that's going to be, I think, key in understanding that communication, which I, I you know, bring back to the nerd prom. The nerd prom gives people an opportunity to see people in a more relaxed state um, and, and learn additional um, I, information about how to understand them, how to um, see, the, see the communications that they're providing to you so that you can better get at the truth. If you, again, and I, and I know I'm repeating this part, the less relationship that you have, the less likely you're going to be correct in, underst- in understanding their communication. And there is the, the chance of being too cozy with a person. But, but I think we all are have a tendency to maybe give um, the benefit of the doubt to someone that we're more familiar with because our familiarity gives us a better understanding of what they mean when they say things or when they do things. Um, are we going to be surprised by the people that, um, that we know the best? And absolutely. Um, I think I've said this before, and if I haven't, I'm saying it now, we are all capable of doing things that are helpful and that are not. If a person does something that is not helpful and you understand that they're traditionally a helpful person, then you know that there's an issue that needs to be dealt with because the person that is not their normal behavior. But if you don't know that person, you don't know what normal behavior is. And your baseline for understanding that person is um, is just come some kind of standard of what you apply to every person. And there are things you know when a you know you know when some of your friends are being um, vile or vicious vicious because you know their behavior. You know that they've never done something like that, or you've never encountered them doing something like that. So. I personally did not have a problem with with the uh, um, correspondence dinner. I do, I did like uh, that. I felt like you know things are getting back a little bit back to normal, um, and and that was helpful. That was you know it, it to get information. I I. I have to feel that there's a uh, 
a level of uh, attempt at a, a providing information in a rather uh, understandable and um, I don't want to call it traditional, but in a way that, you know, people expect. So we expect our politicians to comment on, um, you know, events that happen when they do. And when they do comment on, we, we have, because we've, we've got a record of, or when we have a record of their reactions to the same type of incidences over a period of time, it gives us an opportunity to at least be skeptical if they provide something uh, or behave in a way that they don't haven't traditionally behaved. That doesn't mean that, you know, they're lying. It just means that they haven't um, performed or said these particular words in this particular type of situation. And so we, in order to understand them, we have to ask additional questions and we have to be aware that, you know, we are encountering something, encountering something that we haven't encountered before and need to be alert, you know, to look for more signs to try to determine why that is happening the way it is. Um, there are a lot of people who don't put that much effort into communicating. Um, and not everyone is going to, to do that. Um, but I think it becomes difficult to accept the musings of a person who don't put a lot of effort into understanding the, the environment that, that causes information to be disseminated. And what I mean is, uh, you know, if, if, uh, if, a, um, you know, if you, if you're not understanding what politics is about, it becomes difficult to, to, um, comment on political behavior because because you're not understanding the motivation that brings about that information and and you know a lot of a lot of people just don't put in the time to understand politicians and that's where analysts come in when they talk about well you know I I think that the person means this because of my experiences with that person now um, modern day punditry has its um, drawbacks. Uh, I listen to to um, a lot of it, and um, much of it I have to um, filter through the idea that the the news station is filling time because because sometimes I look at these questions and I go that that, that can't be a real question. Um, because it's so obvious or something of that nature. Um, so I do, you know, question uh, some of the, I do question actually everything that, that I hear. I just try to put it into perspective to make it useful. Some of it's very useful and some of it's not as useful, but you do have to have that so that you can create your 
um, ability to understand that world and that environment and why those things are happening. And how do you get good information when the system is having a hiccup? And I'll have to go into system having a hiccup on another, another show. But uh, I encourage you to, you know, um, listen to more and more people um, discussing the kinds of things that interest you because it gives you more opportunities to um, sharpen your bullshit detector. And, and it gives you an opportunity to know when somebody's uh, just, you know, saying things to try to influence you versus to inform you. I want to thank you very much for joining me this afternoon. Uh, I will be back next Saturday. Um, and I hope that you had a great week. And if you're in St. Louis, stay dry. That concludes this episode of Altitude Adjustment. And thank you for listening. This podcast is streamed live on YouTube and Twitch.tv and is designed for listener interaction. Visit the website, the lionsdenstl.wixsite.com forward slash home to join the discussion. The audio version of Altitude Adjustment is available where you get your podcasts, including Stitcher.com, the iTunes Store, and the Google Play Music Store, to name a few. Remember that the internet is powered by your likes, shares, and comments. So please like, share, and comment on this and other episodes of Altitude Adjustment because it matters. And as always, look out for the other guy because they may not be looking out for you.